Welcome to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. We interview great guests who inspire you to overcome obstacles and achieve your goals. Be sure you visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, just relax as you listen. You can do something else, but be ready to make an important note. And let's get started. The title of this interview is Grow Your Life Skills, Grow Your Business. My guest is a visionary leader and entrepreneur with proven business skills and demonstrated expertise in a variety of companies and industries throughout his career, from Wall Street to commercial real estate to medical devices and information technology. He is the founder or co-founder of several for-profit companies and not-for-profit organizations and has decades of experience in raising capital high-stakes negotiation, project management, building teams, and business development. Companies include Cytosorbents Incorporated, a $400 million publicly traded medical device company treating critically ill and cardiac patients, including COVID-19 patients, and distributed in 67 countries globally. Game on Golf Center, a high-tech enabled golf training center and real estate development project on 32 acres in Westchester County, New York. NYC Basket Brigade, feeding families in need in New York City and Westchester County. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Frank Clark. Hello, Frank. Hello, Tony. Thanks so much. Pleasure to be here. Nice to see you again. Thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate it. We're going to talk about communication and relationship strategies to grow your business, as well as strategies for raising capital and mergers and acquisitions. By the way, I don't mind saying that, Frank, I, I, I contacted you a little over a year ago when my financing ran out with my financier, I had to make a new decision about what I was gonna do for the capital for my startup. And you were one of the people I contacted because I know about you. Uh, and uh, was I helpful? <laughs> well, we said you said, you know, get back to me, and uh, I, I, and I got back to you once, but that was still not a good time for you, and so it never the meeting never happened. But that's on me, that's not on you. Uh, follow up is king in business and sales, I don't care, right? So that yeah. that was the burden was on, was on me. Uh, but what I don't mind telling you, what we pivoted to, to crowdfund, but then it was such a wash. We weren't ready, you know, on, on numerous levels. And so I renegotiated with the, the uh, development company so, th so that I can start an operations even with my debt and I'll pay back their debt once I have revenue. So uh, we're, gonna be, we're gonna be launching very soon in about seven weeks. But yeah, by the way, what you just said is very, very important for people to understand, especially entrepreneurs who are struggling trying to bootstrap because one option when you have debt, let's say you've tried to bootstrap and you've put things on um, credit cards or personal loans with uh, friends and family, et cetera. Uh, and you're trying to like figure out how to pay that all off. And you're not coming up with options like crowdfunding or raising capital or getting a bank loan and, and, and you're not finding a solution in the short term. 
I mean, one option is you can always renegotiate with the people that have already lent you the money because they, you know, they are already owed money. They have already financed you. They've already funded you and believed in you once and you want to show good faith. So sometimes that's like being able to make some small payments. Sometimes it's like renegotiating an interest rate or extending payments over a long term. So one source of financing is the people who are already financing you, people who have already given you money and just restructuring your payments and, and letting them know that you do intend to uh, repay, that you are acting in good faith and you're, you know, working hard to, you know, get everything back in order. And if we could just renegotiate these uh, terms, it will make it more likely that I can, you know, uh, meet the obligations and get back in good standing. With you. Does that make sense? That's what I have found. You know, I'm, I'm often redeemed because I'm, while I've been an entrepreneur a long time, I probably haven't made a profit. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and it's one thing to start a business. It's a whole nother thing to make a sustainable profit. And it's another thing entirely to scale and grow, right? <laughs> right, right. But I find that when I approach people that I already have relationships with, they're almost always willing to renegotiate or to at least have a conversation because they already have a relationship or, or or have some they have some expectation of me and they want me to deliver on it you know so that's not lost we just there's a hiccup that has to be solved you know and exactly and good faith goes good faith goes a long way at the, at the end of the day good faith is everything because business is built on trust right yes. personal relationships are built on trust and especially when there's a crossover between business and personal relationships, like you get money that you borrow from a friend or a family member, right? You have to maintain that trust in order to maintain that relationship. And, you know, coming back and renegotiating, look, everybody knows business is unpredictable. The economy is unpredictable. The pandemic was unexpected. Things happen to people, right? People um, fail with their plan. The market changes, the, uh, the world changes. So anything can happen, but if you're if you're acting with clear and consistent communication in in good faith that you want to you know, try and repay somebody, they'll almost always take the call and work with you to try and structure something. It, it really, it's really, it's a the world is mostly good. <laughs> People <Yes>. are mostly good, <laughs> so it works out. So I have been in, into self development a long time, and you must be as well. I, I know you from I think the New York Power Team. Uh, New York Power Team or uh, Doug O'Brien, I think as well, the NLP community, right? Gnosis community. So, I mean, how much, in, I know, I think you're an NLP trainer too, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I'm an NLP trainer and master practitioner. I'm also certified in Ericksonian hypnotherapy. So I did a really deep dive down that rabbit hole because I was really trying to master communications for business, right? Right. So what I, what attracted me to NLP specifically was when I had done a business um, seminar workshop on sales and influence with Tony Robbins back, you know, in the early nineties. And I was taken with his energy and the presentation, but the whole concept of NLP and what was behind it and modeling success and modeling the most successful communicators and then breaking that down into discrete components that you could then, you know, turn around and rebuild into a model of influence or sales for business that really intrigued me. And that's what led me to go deep down that rabbit hole. So I've been at this for over 35 years. Now. Well, that says 
that's exactly complementing to what I'm thinking of saying next. You know, I'm into personal development, as are you, obviously, as is Tony Robbins. He's the king of it. He's probably the number one guy of personal development. Um, but what I have found, and the reason why I developed self-help coaching, is that Tony Robbins uh, and every other self, you know, every other coach or or self uh, self-help author, uh, it works for like one percent of the people, like you. Uh, and 99% it doesn't because while they, they, they're wowed, the wow fades and fades and fades until it's gone. <laughs> so, it, well, it, I love, I love the quote. I think it was from Zig Ziglar who said, uh, you know, people sometimes come and say to me, oh, I, I tried that self-help and it didn't work for me. It's like, well, neither does bathing. That's it. It didn't last. Neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it every day. Exactly. <laughs> you could say the same about eating and exercise. Yeah. Oh, I tried to exercise once. It didn't work for me. What do you mean you tried it once? You're supposed to do it every day. <laughs> right. That's how it works. You work on but, yourself every day. Right. That's the way it works. But uh, the problem is uh, with humans uh, implementing that. That's the problem. What we what we typically need is professionals such as yourself or Tony Robbins or anyone you know to help us. Zig Ziglar, Tom Hopkins, Jim Rohn. You know, there's there's so many people that I've I've studied with. Yeah, we need those people to remind us. And even now today, I've been on this path for 35 years. I still go back to some of those resources. I still go to YouTube. People like Simon Sinek, uh, areas like behavioral econ economics that I'm fascinated by. You know, there's so much to learn. Neuroscience. There's so much to learn. I'm far from an expert in everything, and you can always learn more. And sometimes we learn the most from uh, you know people who are not like uh, gurus, but from people who are like normal people expressing extraordinary moments or you know doing extraordinary things. I love it. I'm all about, we're all about the same. We're in the same tribe, you and I, Frank. <laughs> You're up in Westchester. I'm down in Brooklyn, but we're in the same tribe. Okay. So let's just take a moment to hear from our sponsor and then we'll come right back with Frank Clark. And he's going to be talking about communications and relationship strategies. This episode of self-help coaching is brought to you by Perficio. What if you could get the results of being coached without a human coach? What if a computer could coach you? Visit www.perficio.io. That's P E R F I C I O.io, where you can get coached without scrutiny, judgment, or pressure. Okay, you're listening to the Self Help Coaching Podcast. We're with Frank Clark. Frank, how did you get started in business? So, when I was in college, I was a math major and about, you know, a little bit more than uh, halfway through, I was like, well, you know, what am I going to do after college? I need to find a job. I need to figure out what I'm going to be able to do to make money. And people were telling me, oh, you know, if you're a math major, you, you could be a math teacher. And I was confident I didn't want to go into teaching, right? I wanted to be in business somehow but I just didn't know what I could do in business. And then people were telling me, oh, you should be an actuary. They go to insurance companies and you do like these 10 actuarial exams and you determine premiums for people. And that didn't sound interesting or exciting uh, or appealing to me. Um, and then I sort of like learned about Wall Street, but knew nothing about finance or business or accounting or anything like that. So I was at a workshop when uh, like a recruiting seminar or workshop at the college 
Um, and I met a guy who worked in business. I think he was at a big six or big eight accounting firm at the time now. Uh, now they're down to the big four, but at the time it used to be the big eight. And uh, I was, people had been telling me I should get a job on Wall Street, but I knew nothing about Wall Street. I was kind of interested in the stock market, but I didn't really know anything about business per se. So I asked him, you know, how do I get a job on Wall Street? And he says, well, you know, what you do is first you get a job working at a big bank or an insurance company out of college, so they'll give you training. And then once you get a year's experience on your resume, you can use that to go get a job on Wall Street. So I was like, all right, well, that must be the magic formula. Because what did I know? I didn't know anything and I didn't know who to ask. So I basically got a job at an, uh, an insurance company, worked with some really smart, really nice people, uh, loved the people that I was working with, but the work itself uh, taught me about finance and accounting and bookkeeping and taxes and things like that. But it wasn't where my interest was. I was, you know, really determined to get a job like on Wall Street. Right. And after you know a little over a year, I used that experience to uh, get a job in equity research at Merrill Lynch, working with institutional clients. So that was kind of my my gateway, as it were. You know, you're a perfect guy to talk to on multiple levels. The premier course that I've developed for self-help coaching is Benjamin Franklin's The Way to Wealth. And I, and I don't know how you feel about Benjamin Franklin, but to me, I, yeah, I would go, I, no surprise. Uh, he's America's first self-made man. Uh, the Way to Wealth is like, it, it, I, he's the grandfather of self-help. <laughs> and yes, I, absolutely. The great grandfather, even. You know. Yeah, that, that's more appropriate. <laughs> the great, you know. great, great grandfather. And, and really, he started with him, and he, he's as acclaimed today as ever and he deserves it. Uh, but he talks about that, you know, finances and that and financial becoming financially independent. That's what we all want and struggle with. Uh, and too little of us are able to accomplish that. You know, and whether a person can do it through employment, which might be rarer than with uh, business or, or, or the other way around, uh, that's what we all want. <laughs> no matter what, are the, what other, our other ambitions are, we want to be, we have, we want to be financially secure and, and, and to be able to do some stuff too. So you, you being a person that's in finance and capital, I mean, this is a big part of what you're about. I imagine in terms of people want money to do, to, to do whatever. And you're a guy to talk to about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely work with clients on um, financial advisory types of issues, whether that's for personal or for business. I oh. get asked constantly questions about, you know, investments, whether those are real estate investments or, uh, you know, technology or startups or things like uh, crypto or uh, things like investing in your own business, right? And so I had, when, when I started out, I didn't, as I mentioned, I didn't know anything about finance or business. So I was kind of looking for a mentor. I'd heard that, you know, w when you started in the working world, you had to find a mentor, somebody who could help you, shepherd you along in, in a career. So I was like, you know, I had it in the back of my mind. I have to find a mentor. I have to find a mentor. I have to find a mentor. <laughs> So after I, you know, went over to Merrill Lynch, uh, I'm like looking for this mentor, right? Who's going to come along and, you know, lift me up and <laughs> shepherd my career through the, you know, the executive ranks, et cetera. And uh, 
he wasn't coming along looking for me. <laughs> so I realized that, you know, I had th certain things that I'd come to Merrill Lynch to learn. And, um, you know, the, the, the person who was my immediate boss was not a, a supportive or a, a good person to work with. He was, uh, had some, we had some serious communication challenges, let's put it that way. Um, and so it, it, it created a lot of negativity. I mean, you know, he had a very negative bias on the world. So it created a ne negative environment for me. And I was like, look, I'm here at Merrill Lynch. I know I'm with an outstanding company. I know I'm at the, in the heart of Wall Street and I need to take advantage of this time. So I need to either find mentors or learn what I came here to learn, which is learn how to, you know, pick stocks. That was what my, my focus was on. Like, all right, there's this stock market, stocks go up and down, but how do you pick the ones that go up? That was kind of my, my intense focus. So I was in the right place. I was in equity research at Merrill Lynch as a quant, and I had all these uh, tools and strategies for helping me identify successful stocks. And I was doing that for institutional clients. So I was learning by writing these com customized computer programs, how institutional investors were looking at picking portfolios of stocks based on certain criteria. And then I was very, very fortunate that I was, uh, my office was physically located, I don't know, maybe less than 50 yards away from one of the top technical analysts on Wall Street at the time. Uh, Literally on uh, Wall Street? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was in the World Financial Center, right? Which is, right. Uh, so it wasn't on Wall Street proper. It was down in Battery Park City. Right off it. But that whole, you know, they call the whole financial district Wall Street. Right, right. I mean, people throw the charm I was being a little coy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I never worked physically on Wall Street. I ate lunch <laughs> there quite a bit. <laughs> I used to walk by the stock exchange. But uh, but my point was that this this guy who was like one of the best of the best in the field of, uh, you know, stock picking and technical uh, analysis had recommended this book, um, which... I bought, it was called How to Make Money in Stocks by William O'Neill. And I basically made that book into my Bible and, and that book became my mentor. So I started finding my mentors in books, which I had never been a reader, right? I was a math major because I just didn't like reading. So I, I, I forced myself to like, okay, this guy who's like a high, highly regarded guy on Wall Street recommends this book. And he said that that was one of the best books he'd seen in his whole career on stock picking. So that meant something to me. So I've gone on and recommended that book to, I don't know, dozens or, or hundreds of people. I don't know how many times I've recommended that book. But I still use that strategy today for stock picking. And it's very, very effective. There is a lot of work that goes into it. You have to study the book. You have to study the markets. You have to study um, charts. And there's a lot more reading that I did beyond that. But the system still works to this day. And I've picked some stocks recently that have done well because I'm using the strategy. What a testament to your character that you had the wherewithal to make a relationship with a book to become your, to be your mentor. That says so, so much about you. And not that you're, you're a schizoid type personality that you, that you can't have human relations. I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting that you had the wherewithal to say, this is the information. This is the stuff. This is, you know, you know, um, when I created Proficio, which is an automated virtual coaching program, the world's first self-help coach, uh, it coaches a user to uh, learn a course. 
And one of one of the things, and it has a set coaching pattern. It's customized for the individual, certainly. But one of the, one of the things that it's sure to um, tell it, it's it's client, the client. We call I call them client clients, which is a combination of client and student because they're both a coaching client and a student of self help. Is to get a mentor. Uh, it's such an important, it's not like a, it's not like a way out. Oh yeah. Get, somebody else can do your work. No, having a mentor, uh, even if it's a book, it's something where you have a relationship where you are going to listen to the, the, the information that's imparted to you and act on it. That's a game changer. Yeah. And by the way, it's a book, but there is a human being who wrote that book, right? William O'Neill in that, in that case. And Later, I was able to find him and attend one of his seminars about uh, stock picking in his system and meet him in person and get him to autograph that book and tell him how, you know, him writing that book had helped to change the course of my life. So, you know, he, while he was a mentor just through the book, initially, I, I did get to meet him and thank him in person or the impact that he had on, on, on my life, right? That's awesome. Let's take a quick moment to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back with Frank Clark to hear about some more of his favorite business books. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Proficio. What is the key to wealth? It's not just making money. It's not wasting it, avoiding debt and costly mistakes. To get the wealth mindset, visit www.proficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can start acting like a millionaire instead of just dreaming to be one. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, and we're with Frank Clark. He's going to tell a wonderful entrepreneur with an incredible resume and experience. And now he's going to tell us about, he was just talking about, talking about O'Neill. Uh, is that correct? O'Neill, was that the author? William O'Neill, yes. Right. How to and Make Money in Stocks. And now he's going to tell us a little bit about some other favorite business books that he has. So the day I bought that book and I had the recommendation, I was also going through a tough time you know, at work, as I mentioned with, with my boss, and I was very frustrated. So I was looking for a way out. So when I bought that book, I hadn't really gone to a bookstore looking to buy a book like ever that I can remember, other than buying college textbooks, right? So as I'm in the bookstore buying that book, you know, asking for that book, and they put it in my hand, and I was like, looked at the price, got a little bit of sticker shock, because it was like $25 or something like that. But I'm looking at the books nearby and seeing if there are other stock picking books. And then I saw some real estate books. So there was also a book with a title that attracted um, my attention. And I'd seen some late night commercials about, you know, buying real estate with no money down. So this one had that kind of a title. It was uh, How to Make It When You're Cash Poor by Hollis Norton. So when I bought that book on the stock market, I also bought that book on real estate. I'm like, okay. You know, I'm going to learn how to make money in stocks and I'm going to learn how to make money in real estate. So I bought two books for my first, you know, non-college textbook book purchase, right? And then I was like, oh, I, you know, I just spent 50 bucks on, on these two books. I better read them and extract $50 or more worth of value. And I did, <laughs> but I made them a study. So as I'm learning how, how, how the system works for stock picking and I'm buying the newspaper and looking at the charts, I'm also starting to make phone calls and call around to find out how I can buy uh, real estate with no money down. I lived in New York City, thought I couldn't afford a place. I didn't have a 
a down payment, but I started getting creative using some of the strategies that I read in the book. And within about a year, I was able to find a place. Um, actually, I, I found a place that I was going to buy uh, uh, no money down. That didn't work out, but I managed to uh, save enough money while living in that place because basically I was getting a very low below market rent while living there. And then I found another place with owner financing and was able to move. And by the, by the time I was 25, I was able to buy my first piece of real estate. So the strategies work and you have to do the work. That is the, the takeaway. It's like, you can't read a book and say, well, I read that book and nothing happened. No, <laughs> that's not how it works. It's like you read the book, you learn from the years or decades of experience from somebody who's lived this. And then you go out and you try and model the steps that they took to become successful by busting your butt and doing everything that they said to do in that book. You make the phone calls, you go visit properties, you you know, buy the newspaper, you start looking at you know, metrics for, for stocks, you start following the stock price, you start setting up systems. You have to do the work. It's not about reading the book and your life is gonna get better. It's reading the book and then taking the steps that are being recommended by these brilliant people and then doing them. And then when it doesn't work, modifying your approach until you get the result that you're looking for. Absolutely. A very common misconception today is that knowledge is power. They're missing the word uh, applied knowledge, applied. That's right. the knowledge and essential action. modifier, <laughs> you know? So that was lost somehow. And to the detriment of anyone who bought into that knowledge is power, because that's not true. If you're not taking action with the knowledge from Frank or Neil or whomever, then you might as well not even know it. <laughs> exactly. And basically the, the knowledge that you get in, in, in the book, it's kind of like, okay, start here and do these few things and keep doing them. And that should take you in the right direction. So they're setting up like step one, go in this direction and do these five things, whatever it might be, right? That doesn't matter if you're trying to run a marathon, if you're trying to learn how to fly a plane, if you're you know, trying to build a company, whatever it is, start here, do these five things and then go in that direction. Okay, great. Well, I did five of those things and four of them backfired and didn't get me the results I'm, I wanted. Okay, this is step two of the learning. Now you're making mistakes and you're going to learn more by making your own mistakes than by what you read in the book. Now you're trying to take that knowledge and put it into action. And when you put it into action, you're not going to get it precisely right the first time you try it, right? You're going to make mistakes. And the, the wisdom that you gain from those mistakes is going to teach you more than what you read in that whole book of somebody who, you know, spent, you know, 25 years of his life or 35 years of his life creating and developing that knowledge. Now you're learning from doing. And that's so valuable and so powerful. Are you currently coaching? Yes, I am. No surprise. I mean, you're see, I'm a coach as well. And I can tell you're a wonderful coach. I've known you for you know for some time, but I've never had a conversation like this with you before. And it's really yeah, we haven't. We, we've spoken like you know at workshops, but not deeper dive. Yeah, this is great, and, and what a splendid guest you you're turning out to be. Uh, I really appreciate it. Who knew? Uh, <laughs> what are some strategies for raising money to start a business? So, yeah, so a lot of strategies to, to start a company of any kind. And again, it doesn't matter if you're, you're you know, creating a lemonade stand or starting a, a blog or a coaching business, which are relatively uh, easy to, to start, or if you're building a, an aerospace uh, company to go to Mars, right? You start kind of in the same place and, you know, doesn't seem like it, but basically 
over the course of your life, whether you're five years old or 50 years old, you've developed relationships. Now, that, that, that might just be with your parents, your grandparents, your aunt and uncle, if you're young and haven't been out in the world. It could be the parents of your friends. It could be teachers. It could be people that you've done business with from, you know, your, um, your auto mechanic to the guy who uh, makes your sandwich at the deli. But there are people that you know in your life and those contacts, that's, that's the beginning of your network, okay? Your network is the most valuable asset that you have in raising capital. The, the more that you build the quality of your network and the quality of the people in your network, the more access to capital that you have. So if, if you spend your time hanging around um, people who are not doing well financially, the quality of your network in the capacity to raise capital in that network is not gonna be very high. If you spend all of your time surrounded by people who are successful business people, successful investment bankers or attorneys or accountants who are you know, making seven, eight, nine figures in their uh, businesses, then you now have access to people and relationships with those people who can maybe either help you by investing directly or introducing you to people who can invest because they probably also have powerful networks. So it's a network of networks. So I'll give you a book recommendation to go along with this that changed my life, which was How to Swim with the Sharks Without Getting Eaten Alive by Harvey McKay. It's M-A-C-K-A-Y. And he really talks about and does a deep dive into the power of networking and building these relationships and understanding you know, as much as you can about the other person so that you have a much deeper relationship. So if I just you know, know your first name, we're going to have a surface level conversation, right? I meet you at a networking event. Your name's Tony. Hey, I'm Frank. How you doing? Okay, great. That's level one. Level two, Tony, what's your last name? Petroza? Oh, Tony Petroza, are you Italian? Yeah, I'm Italian too. Okay, great. Where are you from? Okay, you start to get to know a little bit about people's personality. That's kind of like a, a level two conversation. When you start to get into level three or level four, it's like, oh, you know, Where'd you go to school? Did you know so-and-so? Yeah, he was my best friend. Are you kidding me? Oh, I grew up with him. Okay. You start getting like really connected and developing like a deeper basis for relationship. So in developing that network and relationship, you want to try and get to those level three, four, five types of conversations. And then you start to have like a trusted friend and trusted friendship, even if you haven't done business together. But if you if you lay the groundwork with that communication, developing those level three, four, five conversations, then even if that person doesn't you know, become a capital source for you, they might be more inclined to um, refer you to somebody who may be able to make an investment in your business because they know, like, and trust you, right? So all of business is based on knowing, liking, and trusting people. And that goes from, again, the, the lemonade stand when mom trusts you enough and to let you sit out in front of the house and on your own unsupervised with the, the cups in the picture or whatever, to the global banking system where we had the meltdown in 2008. And what happened that led to the collapse was when some of those big entities started um, failing like Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns, people realized that on the global scale, the biggest banks in the world couldn't trust each other to fulfill their commitments to contracts. So there was a, um, an erosion or a disillusion of, of trust which led to a global economic collapse. So trust is the basis for everything. You know, I, I, I mentioned that action is everything. Another thing that is everything are relationships. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, what, and what everyone knows or should know that 
trust is the most important part of a relationship. You know, on whatever whatever that kind of relationship is, there has to be some level of trust. You know, and the more you count on them, the, the higher that trust requirement is. You know, a primary yeah, like obviously it's true also in your personal relationships, right? With your your spouse, your parents, your kids, or whatever. I mean, if you know you don't show up for your son's uh, baseball game, you know, it's, it's not a big deal as long as you've communicated that. But if you never show up for your son's, you know, soccer game or whatever, you know, you're going to start to have an erosion of trust. Now, some people may not be able to participate in their kids' sports because they uh, are um, working internationally or, or whatever, but that will impact your relationship. So how are you going to make that up to your son or daughter? Or in a marital relationship, right? If you're in a relationship and you never invest in the in the marriage, never invest time into the marriage, you're going to have an erosion of that trust and erosion of that relationship, and that's you know what often leads to separation and divorce. It's hard work. Absolutely, relationships are hard work, uh, and you know a primary. You know today is the age of social media, right? And Facebook is the biggest one. A primary reason, I have Facebook for a number of reasons. Indeed, we're Facebook friends. But a primary reason is to have a network, literally a network, a network of what? Well, whatever. But, you know, I know I'm friends with NLP coaches like myself, businessmen, you're both, uh, you know, all kinds of people that I'm interested in and people that I have relationships with. But all of them are my network, right? And it's exactly. invaluable to me. I, you know, so social media, and that it offers me these networks is invaluable to me because you know that's a critical thing in getting along in the world and doing things in the world. Because what is it? It's essentially a platform, right? That's global, so it gives you access to basically potentially everybody in the world who has an electronic device, whether that be a, a laptop computer, a cell phone, or an iPad, or, or, or something else that you know, you can reach people in, you know, South America, South Africa, or uh, Australia, New Zealand, or the United States, you know, or Europe, just as easily, um, you know, globally. So, but it's also a platform where you can begin to know, like, and trust people, even though they're, you know, a mile away, or tens of thousands of miles away. Okay? I, I was on a, a social media platform last week with an astronaut, who I never would have met in a million years if I hadn't been, you know, on that particular platform. And I got to ask him a couple of questions, which was, you know, extraordinary. I mean, how many people get the chance to talk to an astronaut, right? That's out of this world, Frank. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> okay. Uh, a, a quick uh, word from our sponsor, and we'll come back with our final segment with Frank Clark. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. People start something, then something comes up, or they need a break or even a vacation, and they often never get back on track. Perficio is designed to allow all of this. Visit www.perficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can live your life as you learn and make progress toward your life-changing goals. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with Frank Clark, a wonderful guest. And now he's going to, I'm going to, we're in our final segment. I want to hear about some business news, some tech news, or let me ask you a direct question, Frank. How do you grow a business during COVID-19, the pandemic? This is a, this is a serious situation. 
quite a modifier to say the least. Absolutely. So some people think that, you know, with the global pandemic, that every business must have been doing terrible. And you know, so many companies, we've heard the stories of companies going out of business forever, you know, favorite restaurants or certainly like the entertainment business has struggled from Broadway to filmmaking to, um, you know, music venues are struggling, uh, musical artists, actors, um, people who are, you know, stage hands or do props or things like that. So many people thrown out of work, so many industries, the airlines, the hotel, hospitality industry, um, such devastation. But did everybody have a terrible year last year? No. I mean, do you think Pfizer is doing well selling their vaccines or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson, right? It's been a boon. They're selling, you know, billions of vaccines. So I don't know, I haven't looked at their uh, P&L for the last year, but certainly there are industries and individual businesses that have thrived during COVID. Um, my personal experience, I can tell you, the golf business has exploded because it was an outdoor socially distanced recreational exercise activity when gyms were closed, when indoor things were closed, and when you couldn't play things like basketball or you know you certainly couldn't go to a bowling alley so what can you do for entertainment when you're locked up in your house for a year well you can go out on the golf course or in our case on the golf range and hit a bucket of balls right work on your see some people now we had to take extra steps to make sure that people were safe right with masking up with extra sanitation protocols with you know limiting number of people at the facility with increasing the socially distance of it and with maintaining um, you know, people have to, having to wait in their cars if we got full, et cetera, and having communication waiting list. So it was a lot of extra work that we had to do, but our business, you know, grew last year over uh, 2019. So we had a, a, you know, a positive growth year. The medical device company, okay, this, because of COVID, they were able to get a fast track uh, from the FDA under emergency use authorization to treat critically ill COVID-19 patients back in April. So as a result, um, they became for the first time available for distribution in the U.S., even though they were available in you know, more than 60 other countries. But they were able to step in and start saving lives of people who were in ICUs who were dying of COVID by helping to remove the inflammatory mediators that were causing the cytokine storm and the multiple organ failure. So the device has actually been used now in over 5,000 people. And the stock of the company essentially tripled last year relative to where it was in, in 2019. Now it's gone a little bit down since then, but the awareness about the company has also exploded and they're, they're starting to get traction on some of their other applications in cardiac surgery and in other ICUs and expanding their global footprint by introducing more countries and more um, regulatory authorizations in some cases. So there are businesses who thrive and essentially that becomes a question to some degree of were you proactive or reactive to the situation? Did you wait around for something to happen for, so that your restaurant could reopen? Or did you pivot and find out a way to make money by doing takeout since everybody is at home? And did you restructure your business around takeout and around delivery so that you could still you know, keep your employee, employees employed Still deliver food to people who liked your food, 
and grow your business. So there are many restaurants that grew or grew exponentially by pivoting. So when something hits like a pandemic, do you just give up or do you have to pivot and, and figure out how to do it? As an entrepreneur, you always have to pivot. You always have to reinvent yourself. So that, that opportunity exists for every individual, certainly, if not for every business. I'm very fortunate. You know, I have a self-development company. My company, Auxilium, people have asked me how COVID affects me. Well, for me, it's basically irrelevant. It's going to only help it because it's, it's an e-commerce company. It's a digital technology company. So you know, that's perfect in the age of, of a pandemic or COVID. Exactly. But for, for me personally, it's, or, or for my company, it's irrelevant because, because of the things I just described. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's changing times, man. You've got to be able to roll with both te with exactly. technology and the, the environment, the realities of the environment. They just, those, that's, those are critical factors in business. I mean, very often businesses follow trends. They, they look for trends and they follow them, you know, and that's because that's a factor. Well, environment is a very important factor. There are a number of, I mean, you, you don't, you don't give out loans, but you, you're in the capital investment business though, aren't you? So, I invest my own capital. I have raised capital for my own companies, but I'm not, you know, I'm not an investment banker, not currently anyway. I have worked as an investment banker. Right. Uh, I have, uh, you know, helped companies or advised companies on how to raise capital. I've done a lot of work with startups in helping them um, create uh, pitch decks or advise them on negotiating for term sheets or how to go about raising capital. So I do that type of work. Um, as part of my consulting practice. You really got quite an impressive resume. I mean, I'm, I'm not blowing smoke up, oh, man. You. It really, it's very impressive. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I like we're, to keep we're busy. At, <laughs> yes, certainly. Um, we're at the end. Uh, Frank, do you have any final remarks for our audience? So, yeah, whatever it is that you want to do, you can do it, right? If you don't know how to do it, find somebody who's done it before and then model their success. Success leaves clues, right? And people leave those clues behind and they, they're doing it now and making it more accessible and easier to get to than ever before in the history of the world. So you can find books, you can find podcasts, you can like this one here, right? You can find webinars, you can find YouTube videos. There are amazing speakers out there. There's TED Talks, right? People like Simon Sinek, or, you know, we've talked about some of the other folks, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, um, that if you need inspiration, you get in front of these people and you don't feel inspired, do it again the next day and the next day until you get to the point where you find a speaker or you find a book or you find something that lights your fire and get out and do it. Don't just like expect that the, you read a book and it's going to change your life. Follow the strategies, follow the map, pick up the phone, go out and, and drive around, talk to people. Who do you know? You know, how do you do this? How do you do that? Ask people who are smarter than yourself how they would do something. Get advice. Say in like the money raising business, sometimes when you ask for money, you get advice. And when you ask for advice, you get money. So be <laughs> smart about how you go about your approach. You know, Tony, from Ericksonian hypnosis, sometimes the indirect approach to communication is the most effective, right? Certainly. So what's an indirect strategy that you can use to get to the same result. But if you want to, if you want to do anything and you, you know, Napoleon Hill said, if the mind of man can conceive it and believe it, it can achieve it, whatever it is. So That's Thinking Rich by Napoleon Hill, another, another phenomenal book. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, we're on Zoom right now. 
So Zoom existed, uh, you know, more than a year ago. It's been around for a while and it's been steadily growing in traction. But last year during COVID, it exploded because all of a sudden everybody was work, working from home virtually and doing video calls on Zoom and the stock price was up something like 500%. So if you did nothing else last year and you had been attuned to stock movement, you could have bought um, Zoom stock and increased your 401k by 500% or your IRA or whatever if you had a self-directed. But if you hadn't done the research, didn't know how to pick stocks and you didn't know how to do a self-directed IRA and you didn't know how to invest or you didn't, hadn't saved up any money, then you couldn't have taken advantage of that opportunity. So, and, and the last thing I'll say is Clubhouse, which is a phenomenal social media platform. That's the one I was uh, referencing the other day when, when I said I was on the phone with, uh, on a call with an astronaut. It was through Clubhouse, didn't exist a year ago. It's only been around for, I think about a year. And now it has a billion dollar valuation. So how do you go from a zero to a billion in one year during a global pandemic? So there are strategies. You need to like immerse yourself in some of the strategies, get around the people, get where it's good and let some of it rub off onto you, but then go do the work. Wonderful, self-improvement. Great stuff. How do they contact you? How does, if somebody wants to contact you, Frank, how do they do that? So you can find me on uh, social media through uh, my uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram profiles. Um, my picture, if you're looking, because there are a lot of Frank Clarks out there, uh, my picture is me. Um, not that picture, but uh, my face, but on the billboard in Times Square when I got the ring the opening bell on NASDAQ a few years ago for the medical device company. So being a, a Frank Clark with a picture on Times Square billboard, that, that's my uh, icon. That's great. <laughs> and is there uh, anything to look forward to in the uh, near future for, for Frank Clark and your interests? Size global domination. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you I mean, if, you, if you're in the New York tri-state area and you want to help us feed families in need, um, love to get you involved. If you go to nycbasketbrigade.com, you can make a donation. You can volunteer. Uh, it's something that we, you know, do. We've fed uh, thousands and thousands of people over the years. Been doing that for, uh, I guess, over a decade now. And it's just a, a fantastic way to give back. And this year, especially with the pandemic, there's so many more people in need than ever before. So if you can donate to nycbasketbrigade.com/donate. Or if you want to get involved, or if you have people in the food industry that you know that can make donations or corporate sponsors, I'd love to talk to you. You can get uh, in touch with us through nycbasketball.com. I was just about to mention that one. So you fantastic. That's great. <laughs> but uh, I will say that um, uh, one of the, that's certainly, that's one of the great things that you've done. That's really impressed me about you, but also uh, listeners or viewers, check out newyorkpowerteam.com. Uh, that's uh, how I come to know Frank, and it's just something that's really um, influenced by Tony Robbins. Uh, I know Joseph, I think Joseph is your partner in that, if I'm not yep. mistaken. So Joseph argues is my partner in that. Uh, I started that in 1993 after attending a Tony Robbins' initial work. I got inspired by it, and I was wondering, okay, how can I stay in touch with this energy? Because Again, once the, the motivation doesn't last, right? You go to the seminar a week later, you're kind of back in your life and back to normal. Exactly. But I was thinking to myself, I want a mastermind. And remember, I'd been on the search for, um, you know, first a, a mentor and then like a network, right? I was trying to build a network. 
So I'm like, okay, let me find a network of other people who are connected to, you know, other mentors and expand and grow my network. So I started out to, to stay in touch with folks that I met at the uh, Tony Robbins seminar, but then I was going to a lot of other seminars. I was going to seminars by Deepak Chopra. I was going to seminars by people like T. Harbecker. And I was like, okay. And I was going to all the NLP workshops. I'm like, let me bring them in too. Let's just make it, you know, anybody who wants to learn and grow and develop, um, they can learn and grow and develop through that community. And essentially we were an in-person organization only, but now because of uh, the pandemic, we're in the process of pivoting. I spoke to Joseph last, last night and we've set up a site on Clubhouse. So if you're an iPhone user or an iPod, iPad user and you're on Clubhouse, right, which is only by invitation at this point, but it's coming soon and you can probably find somebody in your world. If you network hard enough, you can probably find somebody that you can get an invitation to. We have a group on Clubhouse called Power Team and we're just building that up. So we wanna, you know, we wanna find content creators. We wanna find people in the self-help community that wanna do shows, podcasts, things like this. Tony, if you wanna do a show with us on, on Power Team on Clubhouse, we'd love to invite you to you know, bring some of your content over there so that we can all connect in a global network of people who are motivated to improve their personal lives, improve their professional lives, grow their businesses, and make, most importantly, make a positive difference in the world community. And I, I'm a big believer in making a difference through business. So I also have another club on there called Startup Con Live, where again, we're teaching best practices and strategies to business people through social media on Clubhouse with powerful conversations with business leaders. Frank, I've got to say with the utmost sincerity, if guests get better than you, uh, I'll be amazed because you have been an extraordinary, oh, thank you. perfect guest. I would say you're, you've been, quite frankly, you're a perfect guest. I love everything that you've brought to this interview. Uh, on every level. Very I really, appreciate really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, say goodbye to the audience, Frank. All right. So long, everybody. We'll see you on Clubhouse or social media or hopefully in person someday, right? And go after your dreams. Go get them, baby. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And remember, every one of us is responsible for ourselves, and we all can use some help. Thank you, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate you. You're welcome, sir. Thank you for tuning in to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. Remember to visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Self-Help Coaching Podcast.